So now that we're beautifully decorated in this church, ready for this Advent season, uh, we're going to start today with an Advent message. This time of year also marks the time when everybody starts to have that panicked look, trying to find the perfect gift, the pressure, the stress of finding the perfect gift for your loved ones. Or is it just me? Am I the only one that finds pressure and stress? Put your hands up if you've finished your Christmas shopping already. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Wow. Jesus did say, be ready. That's awesome. (laughs) But gifts, they're such a big part of Christmas. And I'm going to start off today with a little bit that shows a little bit of man's folly versus God's perfectness. But, uh, you know, Christmas presents, they are so important. And when you do get the right one, it can make such a, a special moment. I remember the first time that really Lise and I burst the budget on my mother-in-law. It's not something I've done an awful lot. Um, but <laughs> one year, we burst the budget on my mother-in-law for Christmas, and we bought her this beautiful Charles Rennie Macintosh lamp. It was stunningly beautiful. She liked her Rennie Macintosh vases and ornaments, so we burst the budget getting this fantastic. We thought, oh, my mother would love that. Yeah, my mother-in-law would love that. So we bought this, and honestly, when she opened up, she was like a schoolgirl. She was so excited. She cried. She ran about the room. It was fantastic. So this beautiful lamp just made her face light up. I've been hanging out with Robert Cook far too much. <laughs> of course, she wasn't quite so pleased next year when all we got her was a light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> but people, sometimes we get it right when we're buying a present. Sometimes we get it absolutely right. We enhance someone's life. We give them joy. We give them a special moment. I'm glad we said all that before Louise came back in the room. That's great. <laughs> But sometimes we get it really wrong, absolutely wrong. So I'm going to start off today with a rundown of some of the worst Christmas gifts over time, just to kind of show the folly of man. So I'm going to start off in the 1960s. I wonder if anybody, put your hands up if you were around in the 1960s. Okay, so let's see if you got this present in the 1960s. Inflatable, this is, I'm going to have to describe this now for those that listen to the podcast. This is inflatable sauna pants. Yes, I did say inflatable sauna pants from, I don't know if you can read the writing, but it's from the Health Watchers of America. To reduce the size of your waist, your tummy, your hips, and your thighs. They look so stylish and practical. How could you not open them on Christmas morning and say, just what I've always wanted? It does say in the top right-hand corner that they are approved by the AAU. I don't know who the AAU is, but nobody could approve of these, I think. (laughs) Did anybody get these in the 60s? Yeah. Does anybody want them this year? (laughs) Putting some gift ideas out there. Okay. Moving on to the 1970s. 
when novelty teapots were all the rage. Somebody came up with this brilliant idea. <laughs> a porcelain teapot in the shape of a toilet. Who thought that was a good idea? Who would want to drink hot brown liquid out of that? Did anybody get this? Does anybody want this? No. Now we move on to the 1980s where we had this kind of phase of labor-saving devices, time-saving devices, and somebody came up with this cracking idea. It's the ultimate gift for people too lazy to go down to kitchen for breakfast in morning. So it's the dream griddle alarm clock. Um, which says rise and dine. I thought that was a great sales pitch there, rise and dine with the dream girl uh, alarm clock. So for those who are too lazy to get out of the bedroom to go and have their breakfast, they can cook their breakfast in the morning on this thing. You'll see that it says there that it's got a free sleep mask with it. What a health and safety nightmare this is <laughs> on so many levels. But do you wear the mask whilst you're cooking at the same time? Would you ever get to sleep with the smell of smoked bacon beside the bed? Anyway, does anybody think that's a brilliant idea? No. no. <laughs> Awake to the sound of sizzling bacon and eggs. Wow. So we'll go from the 80s to the 90s where we took time saving and labor saving devices a bit too far. I think this is a cracker. You could get the pet petter. For those of you who are too lazy to even pet your own animal, get this mechanical arm that pets your pet for you with an amazingly boastful 85 ppm, which for the uninformed is pet pats per minute, 85 pats per minute. You'd have to make sure you got it just at the right height, otherwise you would pound your animal into the ground. But I tell you, this must have been a prolific big seller because 10 years later, the same company, the same company came out with this. It's the Pet Talk Collar. With the digital revolution, you can get a collar for your animal that hears your dog woof or your cat meow and it converts it into English for you. Where the dog will say, I would like to go outside and play with the red and white ball, please. Everybody, this is a brilliant idea. I do presume that if you did buy one of these collars for like an Alsatian or a German Shepherd that would say, could we have a penalty shout with England, please? <laughs> Any pet lovers thinking about these as great ideas, great gifts? I think it is. I think it is. I don't know if the technology is proven but I think it's a real product. So next, we go on to, this is, this is an American thing, this next one. This was a big seller at one Christmas, believe it or not, this is one of the top sellers in America. It's the bacon wallet. It's a wallet made out of bacon. And why? It really appeals to the American ego for those hardworking guys who want everybody to know that in their household, they're the ones that bring home the bacon. But it was, that was a big seller in America one year. 
What a nonsense. It was the same year that Lady Gaga wore that dress out made out of bacon or whatever it was, or chopped meat. So after that, we had the recession when the money left, and then we had these really cheap gadget, cheap kind of presents and games came out. So people got <laughs> games like this. <laughs> Just imagine on Christmas morning, oh yeah, let's have a thumb wrestle. That would be awesome. And then the last one, this is going to split the room, this one. This is the last idea I'm going to share with you. But this, again, was a, a good seller in some parts of the UK. My cleaning trolley with 11 cleaning items in beautiful pink and purple and white. Not for the politically correct, as you can see in the top left-hand corner, it says, for girls only. I didn't make this. I didn't make the toy. It has split the room because half of you are thinking, how cruel to give that to my daughter at Christmas time. Another half are saying, that's genius. I'm going to get one of them for my daughter so that she can help about the house and say, this is fun. You'll love this. Dust and hoover and clean and wipe. And... Is anybody going to buy this? No. <laughs> awesome. You look at those presents and you think, what an absolute nonsense. What an absolute nonsense. What have we turned Christmas into that people are buying these things? And people are buying these things. People bought them. Absolute, ridiculous nonsense. So let's turn to God's Word. We're going to read from Luke's Gospel this morning. We're going to read from Luke chapter 2. Let's get our minds into the first Christmas. Luke chapter 2, reading from verse 1. The birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby 
wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened that the Lord has said all about, told us all about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mary treasured up all those things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned <laughs> glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Amen. I do apologize. I've had a touch of man flu this week. One, two, three, all. One, two, three. Yeah, kind of messed that up. <laughs> the gift, the perfect gift from God was given and first announced to the angel, by the angels to the shepherds. There's three things I want to really bring to the table here about the perfect gift. First of all, the perfect gift must be right for the recipient. Would you agree? So God chose to announce the birth of his son, his begotten son, to some shepherds on a hillside. It kind of defies logic when you think about it. First of all, you think, well, if God's going to send His Son, this great moment in the history of all mankind, you would think there'd be a big announcement, which I think there was, you'll agree, when angels turn up and start singing. That's pretty big. But why to the shepherds? Do you think God got it wrong? I don't think there's anything happens by chance in Scripture I don't think the angels got back and reported back to God and said, God, you'll never believe this. Gabriel used the sat-nav. He put the wrong postcode in. Before we knew it, we turned up in this field in the middle of nowhere. We're halfway through the message and halfway through our karaoke number when we realized it's just shepherds. We are so sorry. We messed it up. I don't think that happened. I don't think that happened at all. So why shepherds? I think that's a big question. Why announce the birth of the Messiah? I said, today, a child is born for you. Why to the shepherds? Let's look at shepherds for a moment. In Christ's day, shepherds stood on the bottom rung of the social ladder. That wasn't always the case. When you look back in Scripture, way back at the start in Genesis being a shepherd, everybody pretty much was a shepherd. Whether you were a sheik or a slave, you were a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. It was a sign of wealth, having all these flocks. Moses was a shepherd. It was a sign of great wealth way back in the start of Scripture. But that changed when the Israelites were in Egypt. The Egyptians were not fans of livestock and shepherds, etc., and sheep. They were an agricultural society. They planted crops everywhere. 
and livestock meant death to the crops. And so the Egyptians who held captive to the Israelites for 400 years. Is that right, 400 years? Just checking with the scholars here. 400 years they were there. And so the society changed as the Israelites were in, were in Egypt. Even before then, before they got there, in the story of Joseph, at the technical dream coat, when his brothers turn up and they come to Egypt, Jacob's sons come to Egypt and Joseph is there, Joseph says to them in Genesis 46, very matter-of-factly says, Every shepherd is detestable to Egyptians. That's what he says in Genesis 46, verse 34. Every shepherd is detestable to Egyptians. And that kind of mindset affected the, the Israelites as they moved on from there and they eventually found their way into the promised land in Canaan. Um, they changed the way their society was. They were no longer nomads. They had a place to put down their roots. They planted crops. And so the shepherd lifestyle was kind of gone. We skip on a bit in Scripture, and we think of David, the shepherd boy, who became king of Israel. Great and fantastic that David became king, but his own father, when the prophet came to anoint one of his sons as the future king of Israel, he took him through every other son until he got to the point where he ran out of sons, and the prophet said, Ahem, you got any more sons left? This is embarrassing. And he says, aye, but it's only David. He's just a shepherd boy. Just a shepherd boy. The youngest was booted out to go and look after the sheep on the hillside all alone. That's the kind of level of respect. It was a bottom, of the, the bottom rung of the ladder kind of occupation at that time. Of course, for David, it was a great training ground as he learned to be a warrior as a shepherd because he fended off and protected the flock by fighting off wild animals, killed them with his sling, which he then used in God's service when he took on Goliath. But he fully understand the protecting nature of a shepherd, and he also understood the protecting nature of God. When he wrote Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and I will lack nothing. He leads me. And I could go on and on with that. David David's rise to being a king was quite dramatic because he started off on the bottom rung of the ladder as just a shepherd boy and nobody and nothing. And that kind of attitude towards shepherds continued throughout Scripture. In fact, when we get to the prophets and Zephaniah, um, sheep herders symbolize social desolation. If anybody wants to look at Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 6. And Amos contrasted his high calling as a prophet with his former role as a shepherd, Amos chapter 7, verse 14. But in Jesus' time, shepherds were despised in everyday life. When you read some of the Jewish uh, historians at the time, they were considered second-class citizens. They were considered untrustworthy. Many shepherds earned their poor reputations. Others became victims of a cruel stereotype. Rabbis banned pasturing sheep and goats in Israel, except on desert plains. So they were kind of really punted out onto the far end. The, the, the worst places they wanted people to go, that's where they sent the shepherds. The Jewish law even said that they were given no rights in courts, shepherds. They were not allowed to be witnesses. 
in a court because their testimony was regarded as being untrustworthy. A lot of their civil rights were taken away. Uh, in the Jewish law, they were referred to as being incompetent shepherds. There was one Jewish law written that said that uh, no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. Wow, that's kind of really put out there, isn't it? They weren't allowed to take up office. Not allowed to be witnesses in court. Nobody was allowed to buy wool or milk or a kid from a shepherd because it was assumed that it was stolen property. The shepherds were really looking after other people's flocks, etc. So I'm painting a picture here. I'm painting a picture. The society did not look kindly on shepherds whatsoever. They were outcasts. They were unwanted. They were unliked. They were oppressed. They were spoken badly of. They were looked down upon. The rabbis even officially labeled shepherds as sinners. That's in the historic Jewish documents. They were, as a class, referred to as sinners. And it's from this class prejudice that God's announcement, this amazing moment when the heavens opened up, the skies are lit up with the glory of God as angels appear. God's light shines from the sky. These angelic beings speak to these shepherds who are crying out for a savior. Their lives are horrible. They are oppressed, downcast, without hope, in distress, and in debt. And God says, I'm sending the message for you. You need this message. Your heart cries out for this message, and I announce it to you because I'm coming for you. Those of you who are oppressed, downtrodden, outcasts, forgotten, looked on, down upon, unloved, unwanted, I'm coming for you. I'm announcing this to you. Isn't that beautiful? Not to the kings, not to the religious leaders of the day who thought they were so godly, who Jesus would later have numerous arguments with and run-ins with, but to the shepherds, to the lowly, to me, to you. That's who he announced it to. The perfect gift must be of the highest quality. Would you agree? You know, we search and search at Christmas for that special gift. We put a lot of time, a lot of effort into it. I've got to get it just right. And when I go shopping for Christmas presents with my wife, if there are 10 items that are the same and we decide this is the item we're going to buy, we have to inspect all 10 items to make sure we find one without blemish. Oh, the corner of that box has got a wee dent. That's got a wee scratch. We can't take that one. Every single one has got to be picked up, examined, then passed on to me to pick up and examine and look. What do you think? What do you think? Is this the right one? Yeah, we find the perfect one. And then that's it, and it's carefully manhandled, gently back to the car, 
safely put into the right room where nobody's going to trip over it or where I'm going to trip over it. And then it gets wrapped up perfectly and presented at the right moment. A perfect gift. Jesus was the perfect gift. And here is the significance right here. I did say earlier that the shepherds were banned from pasturing apart from on desert plains. There was only one place in Israel where the shepherds were allowed to pasture in green pastures, and it was just outside Bethlehem because these shepherds were Levitical shepherds. Their job was to raise lambs for sacrifice. They were only ones that were allowed to pasture in Greenland, and it was just outside Bethlehem because these shepherds were getting the lambs and presenting them to the rabbis, to the priests, for use as the sacrificial lambs in the temple. So on these fields, this field that is not just in the middle of nowhere, this is on the edge of Bethlehem. Bethlehem in Hebrew literally means the house of bread, which is the place very aptly that the bread of life was born, who sustains us not just physically, but spiritually. And on this plain, this green plain, just outside Bethlehem, there was the green fields, and then there was some caves on the edge of town in which when it came for the time for the lambs to be born, these lambs had to be perfect, perfect for sacrifice, without blemish, no cut, no bruise, no damage, nothing that looks out of the ordinary. So when the sheep were about to give birth, they were taken into these birthing caves on the very edge of the town of Bethlehem, and in those caves were swaddling cloths. The lambs were caught as they're coming out of the sheep, and they're wrapped up in this cloth so they're their very hoofs would not strike the ground. There'd be no cut, no blemish, no bruise, no damage to the lamb. And so it would be perfect for sacrifice, for use as that Passover lamb. You remember the story of the, the Passover when the Israelites, after 400 years of being slaves in Israel, and God sends Moses, the stutterer, to go and sends the plagues over Israel. And one of them, the last one, was that God says, I will kill every firstborn child in, in, in Egypt until Pharaoh releases my people. And to preserve his own people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, he told them to go and pick a perfect lamb, sacrifice it from the blood of the lamb, paint it on the lintels and the doorposts and the door so the angel of death would pass over their house. And that was remembered every year at the festival of the Passover. And also the sacrificial lamb was used um, for sacrifice at various times throughout the year for people to atone for their sins. And here we have right now God's perfect lamb being born. So when the angels announced to the shepherds, to the Levitical shepherds who presented them and they raised the Passover lambs and they wrapped them in cloths in these birthing caves and then took them to the, the priests of the temple for use there, when the angels announced they could see something different about this child being born, that when they went to those caves, they saw a child being born and wrapped up in the swaddling cloths, just like the sacrificial lamb, the perfect sacrifice. Do you see the imagery right here? God was saying, this is the perfect gift. This is the Messiah, the one who is without sin, without blemish, without spot, 
And He is the one who will take away all the sins of the world. He is the one who is coming to set you free. This is a different child. This is not a coincidence. We are here for you to announce to you, the Levitical shepherds, on this plane, on this night, that your Savior is born just like the Passover lamb, and He is ready and waiting. You can go and see Him, and this is a sign, and this is a weird sign. You'll find the baby in a feeding trough. Who gives birth and puts their child in a feeding trough? Nobody. But it just so happens that in these birthing caves, they had feeding troughs for the sheep. And so this baby, wrapped in the swaddling cloth of the sacrificial lamb, is lying in a feeding trough. No coincidence. You know, the, the shepherds, they could have been walking away after the angels had sent them, saying, did we really see that? What did we put in the stew the night? We're off it. There's something wrong here. And then, but when they see it, who puts a child in a manger, in a feeding trough? That's so specific. Wrapped in swaddling cloths. This message is for us. This is real. This is happening. The Messiah is here. And they then went with great joy. And they went and shared that news with everybody that they met. How do we feel about this message? How do we feel about God sending His Son to take away our sins and to give us life in all its fullness? Do we want to tell everybody? That's an important message. I remember not long after I became a Christian, I was 15, in our youth fellowship on Christmas Eve, we'd go and sing carols at two of the old folks' homes in Broxburn, and then we would go to the watch night service and we'd sing there as well. And I remember... This year, I was only 15, and we were in between the two, um, going from one old folks' home to the other one, and our minister was there, Andy Moyes, and we're walking along in Broxburn, I don't know if you know Broxburn at all, in Amondale Road, where it meets Strathbrook Place, and there's a corner where all these blocks of flats are on this corner. They all kind of converge at this point, and Andy Moyes says, stop, get the guitars out, I want you to sing. And so we started to sing choruses, and then just... He was in prayer as we were singing these choruses, and he says, stop. And then at the very top of his voice, shouted out, I've got good news for everybody. Good news. Open your windows. Hear this good news. And he started preaching the gospel. He started preaching from John's gospel, saying in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. God came into this world for you. And we could see all these windows opening up and these blocks of flats and folk hanging out their windows. And listening to this, and Andy Moyes screaming at the top of his lungs, the gospel message, you need to hear this good news. This is what it's all about, folks. This is what it's all about, he's screaming. This is about your life. This is about your life. God has come to give you new life. He's wiping the record clean. No matter what you've done, you can be forgiven of all that. You can have a living relationship with the living God. And he screamed it at the top of his voice because he needed to let people know. Do you need to let people know? The third thing about the perfect gift is that it enhances the recipient's life. It enhances the recipient's life. God has given us the perfect gift. He prophesied it for years. This is what's coming. You need to be saved. 
This is a dark and broken world full of corruption and selfishness where people will press you down in this life. They will say horrible things about you. They will seek themselves and they will damage you in the process. This is not the way I designed life and you need to be saved from this. You need to be saved from yourself, from your own sinfulness. And saved to what? To a full relationship with me. Not just for this life, but for all eternity. This is my gift to you. You can be free. You can be forgiven. You can be full of hope and life and love because I am love and I am giving my love to you for all time. You can feel so alive. You can have such purpose in your life because I designed your life. I created you with a plan and a purpose. Come and seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I have the purpose and the plan for your life. Life in all its fullness, that's what I will give you. I will enhance your life. This message is for us today. God is speaking to you today. This message is for you. Sitting here today in Whitburn Pentecostal Church, God is saying to you, I will give you life in all its fullness. Come to me. I will accept you. My arms are open wide. This moment was designed for you. This life was designed for you. I want to enhance your life. I want to fill your life with love and grace and mercy and hope and expectation and excitement and purpose. And you can make the world a better place because I will walk this life with you. My hand and your hand, us together, listening to my voice, I will guide you. I will be your shepherd. You will lack nothing. I will fend off the wild animals from you. I will give you safe pasture where you can lie down in peace in the green fields with the quiet waters bubbling by. I can give you a life of peace and of rest and of grace and of love where you feel safe, protected, and contented. Folks, this gift is for you. This Christmas, are you going to receive this gift in all its fullness and give your life 100% because he will turn no one away. If you cry out from your heart, he will open his arms and say, my child, my child, let's live this life together. It's the way I designed it. It's the best way. And will you tell others about him? Will you share his love with this world and Whitburn and heal the brokenness and feed the hungry through the food bank and reach out to children and raise children in the way they should be? This is our job as the church. He is the head of the church. Let this Christmas be a special Christmas where you receive God's love fully, where you feel, receive the gift of life, the perfect gift that enhances your life, that is fully for you and is of the highest quality. Amen.